0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Presumed Guilty is a case we cover
2: over two episodes. This marks part two of two.
1: These guys have told now probably three different stories to the police about the circumstances about being around the store. The polygraph comes back inconclusive on both of them. The officers at that time were thinking they are hiding some, and naturally so.
2: I'm Yardley. And I'm Zibby. And we're fascinated
3: by true crime. So we invited our friends, Detectives Dan and Dave, to
2: sit down with us and share their most interesting cases.
4: I'm Dan. And I'm Dave. We're identical twins, and we're detectives in small-town USA. Dave investigates sex crimes and child abuse. Dan investigates violent crimes, and together we've worked on hundreds of cases, including assaults, robberies, murders, burglaries, sex abuse, and child abuse. Names, locations, and certain details of these cases have been altered to protect the privacy of the victims and their families. While we realize that some of our listeners may be familiar with these cases, we hope you'll join us in continuing to protect the true identities of those involved out of respect for what they've been through. Thank you.
2: So here you are with Gary Quinn, who has a newfound conscience brought on by a head injury, and he's telling you that after all these years, you've got the wrong guys for this murder. Were you skeptical?
1: I was totally skeptical. But he does tell me enough detail about he knew that the gun they used belonged to Timmy Sanchez and that it was a twenty-two caliber pistol. And I knew from the deal that the kid was shot with a twenty-two caliber pistol. I don't think we ever put that out. A lot of times they don't talk about that unless we actually have the murder weapon, and so he also tells me that, like I said, about the coin slot things that you put in the safe. I go, that's quite a bit of detail from somebody who just thinks his brain scrambled and he's kind of come down and tell us a story. Yeah, I always kind of get a sixth sense when people are lying or they have an angle. He had no angle. He had no reason to come in and lie. He, had, in fact, he had reason to lie the other way because it was his family. That's one of the things you really have to look at: is what's your motivation to tell me the story. And I don't think it was anything other than his head injury and his emotional say at the time. He just felt he needed to tell because he actually told me during the interview, he knew two people were in prison who didn't belong there.
3: Wow. Wow. And he was talking about Sam and Rick.
1: Yes. Right. And I asked him if he knew them and he said, no, never met them. And I asked him if Bob or Timmy or Cooper knew them or ever heard of them and he said no. Really? Yeah. had no idea who they were. Oh. And so I write up a report. I give it to my boss, who gives it to the then prosecutor who prosecuted it and said, well, that's pretty interesting. But we're now at the point where we have to follow up with Bob Quinn and Timmy Sanchez. So his brother, Bob, I knew him from the drug scene. I was working narcotics at the time, and I'd dealt with him before. I knew who he was. And so we bring him in and talk to him. And he is really confident and nonchalant about, how. Gary, you know, since he's been in that car accident, he reads a lot of crime stuff, and he thinks he knows everything, and he reads the paper, and he wants to get involved in everything. He's just kind of a little bit crazy right now. So, no, I had nothing to do with that. I don't know anything about it. So we say, okay, well, are you willing to come take a polygraph about that? Oh, no problem. Not a problem at all. And he's just really confident about it. So I thought, oh, we'll put this to bed right here. So we schedule a polygraph, and it's going to be real simple. Do you know who killed the clerk of 7-Eleven, and did you participate in it? And we picked Bob up, and the state police office is a long ways from where we picked him up, from our office, actually. And we drove him out there, and I was with two other detectives. The tension was so thick, I told my brother, who was a detective also, Bob is going to fail. And he goes, what are you talking about? I said, that guy is like a totally different person than the person I talked to a couple of days ago. Really? Bob is like a cat on a hot tin roof.
2: No way. He's just flapping inside. Uh, Ah. And
1: we ask him if he's on anything. He says no. And he does tell the polygrapher he had smoked marijuana before he came down there, which can be a factor, but not the way he was acting. I could smell the fear on him. It was that bad. And he went in and took this polygraph test and bombed it.
2: Oh, my God.
1: Totally bombed it. Not even close. He comes out. He had been told he flunked. I said, all right, well— You want to go? He goes, I don't want to go anywhere with you guys. You're going to arrest me? And I said, no, we're not going to arrest you. And he goes, then I want out of here. I said, okay. And off he went walking into the night.
3: You didn't even drive him back to town?
1: No. He didn't want to be in our presence at all.
3: But I guess I don't understand why you would agree to a polygraph if you know, like, oh shit, it's about to get really real.
1: Well, we're not dealing with, you know, Einstein's the world sometimes. (laughs) These, These guys... They, at the time, he just, it's not happening right now, so everything's fine. And then when it comes time for go time, they think that, well, maybe I'll pass it.
3: That's an extraordinary ability to live in the moment that I lack.
1: Yeah. That's amazing. (laughs) That's what they do. They live in the moment for sure. I think this guy thought, I think he knew in his mind he didn't pull the trigger, so he was going to pass the polygraph.
0: Okay.
1: One of the things about the polygraph is, do you know who did? And he probably wasn't ready for that question. And, you know, if you flunk that one, you're definitely, you know, he flunked it horribly He on the charts.
3: Okay, so Gary goes off into the night, and what's your next move?
1: So we think, all right, the next move is this. We go down to Timmy Sanchez's house. And remember, Gary Quinn told us the gun belonged to Timmy Sanchez.
2: And was Timmy Sanchez in the original case file?
1: No, none of these people were in the original case file. The only person that was in the original case file was the guy who called in and said, I saw the greasy-looking guy standing next to the van with this plate, and that plate was registered to Timmy Sanchez's brother.
2: Uh, so Timmy still wasn't on your radar?
1: No. We would have found out if we had ran the context of that vehicle, people had been stopped in it, that Cooper had been stopped in it, and if we had ran him further for his—he had been charged with robbery in another state where he was actually convicted— through an identification by the person he robbed. He actually robbed a bar, and the bartender was able to identify him later time.
3: And then he did time for that robbery?
1: He did time for that robbery. His fingerprints would have been on file. Remember that. And there would have been some things to compare.
3: So what happens when you track Timmy Sanchez down?
1: We go to his house. He's really cordial with us. And we knew it was a Ruger pistol because it had a left-handed twist. That's a ballistics term. The gun we knew had a left-handed twist, and so they figured it was most likely a Ruger Revolver 22-caliber pistol. And we asked Timmy, do you still own a Ruger 22-caliber pistol? He said, yeah. And I said, well, do you still have it? He goes, yeah. My dad gave it to me. So can we look at it? So he takes us back where it is, and it's there. And we tell him that we want to take it down with his permission and compare it to some bullets that were fired in a crime to make sure it's not it. And you could just kind of see the wheels turned his head. And he says, uh, sheepishly, sure, go ahead. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. We take the gun. So now we're going to take it over and have the state police do forensics on the gun and to see if it can match up with the bullets that were taken out of the clerk's head. None of the bullets had exited his skull. They were all still in it. So we had those still. But they were really mangled. And I would have been really surprised if they would have been able to do a positive match with that gun at that time. So we take this information back to my boss. We've got the gun. The cards are starting to all line up now. And he tells me there's got to be a connection between this group and Sam and Rick. Because in the second trial, DNA had come along at that point.
3: So after they appealed and they got their second trial, now you had DNA.
1: Yeah. And the big droplet of blood on Rick's clothes belonged to the victim.
3: It did belong to them? Yes. Account. Oh. Oh, man. That's pretty hard to explain away.
1: Yeah. So my boss has me apply for and get PIN registers on all these guys' phones.
3: What's a PIN register?
1: And a PIN register is basically, it's what everyone's phone does now. It's just basically a caller ID. It gives me real time that you're calling and who you're calling. Not the content of what's going on, but when you're doing it. So if we go out and we talk to so-and-so... And we want to see who they're gonna call right after we leave, so we know who else to talk to, that kind of thing. I see. You know, because they're probably saying the cops were just here. But we had a bunch of pin registers running on a bunch of people at that time to kind of monitor who was talking to who. Because now that we had made inquiries and all this, well, there was a lot of calls from Bob to Cooper,
2: Uncle Cooper,
1: Uncle Cooper. But Timmy Sanchez was actually strangely pretty quiet. His phone was. But we are continuing to monitor these over a period of time. And the day after we took Timmy Sanchez's pistol, we got contacted by Timmy Sanchez's new lawyer. Oh. She was a pretty prominent defense attorney, did a lot of homicide cases around here, and she wanted to meet with us. And she comes down to the station, and she said, my client, Timmy Sanchez, will cooperate with you guys about what he knows about this case in exchange for immunity. So now we know we're on the right track, obviously. And so we discussed this with the district attorney's office because we really can't grant anybody immunity. That has to come from them. So the agreement is that we will get you immunity as long as you can prove and we can prove that you had nothing to do with the kidnapping or the murder of the store clerk.
3: Why would the kidnapping charge be part of that?
1: Just define, basically, you take someone from point A to point B against their will.
3: Even if it's just to the back room of the store.
1: Yes. And so the agreement is at this time that as long as Timmy can do this and pass a polygraph about that, we'll talk. And so we gave him a polygraph about did he kidnap or murder, and he passed. And so, okay, now it's time to sit down and talk. His story was this, basically, that Timmy Sanchez and Bob and Gary Quinn... And a bunch of other people were up at this house above the Seven Eleven having a party that night, and they ran out of beer, and they didn't have any more money either. So they were all just kind of bumming it, and they were all minors. Cooper was the only adult at the time, and so Cooper says, "Well, I know how to get beer," and he tells Timmy Sanchez to go get that pistol you have. And he goes, "What are you doing?" He goes, "I oh, will get beer." So he gets the pistol. He has Timmy Sanchez and Bob Quinn go down there with him. And he goes into the store, and he basically pulls the gun on the clerk. The clerk knew all of them. Oh. He knew all of them.
2: They were in the neighborhood.
1: Yeah. And according to Timmy Sanchez, the clerk's exact words to Cooper were, "Uh, come on, Cooper, what are you doing? He goes, no, give me all the money and open the beer cooler. And he goes, you know what? I'm just going to leave the store. I won't call. You guys just do what you want to do, but I'm out of here. And Cooper says, no, no, not going to happen. And so he gets a couple of little coin slot things. He goes over and gets a roll of tape off the shelf that was for sale, and he goes, come on the back room. And then the clerk again tells Cooper, Cooper, I'm not going to the back room. Just do your thing. I just want to leave. And he actually tries to walk out at one time, and Cooper blocks his way. Oh, man. Yeah. And he goes, I got to tie you up. I got to make it look good. So come on.
4: Hey, folks. Detective Dave here. Let me tell you about Safe, the home security system that I trust to keep my family safe. I depend on Safe to provide me and my loved ones with 360-degree coverage of my property and valuables. I love the variety of monitoring sensors available with Safe home security. You get a glass break sensor, which in my experience is one of the most effective tools of detecting a break-in. In addition, Safe offers motion sensors, entry sensors, sirens, and flood and fire detection. There's no safe like Simply Safe.
3: Hey, small town fam, it's Yardley. It's gonna be summer soon, so the potential for stinky pits is imminent. That's why I really love Lumi. I'm obsessed with their sweat control, cream deodorant. I think I've said this so many times, but honest to God, I never thought I'd use a cream deodorant because they're sloppy and gloppy and sticky and bleh. But Lumi isn't any of those things. It dries quickly, it's never sticky, and it doesn't leave any white streaks on my dark clothing. So all of those things are a win for me. If you're not familiar with Lumi, let me tell you a few things. Six years ago, an OBGYN invented her game-changing whole-body deodorant, and now it has over 300,000 five-star reviews from people like me lumi is baking soda free paraben free and ph balanced so it's safe for your pits and your bits which means you can use it below the belt they have a lovely variety of fresh bright scents like clean tangerine my favorite lavender sage or toasted coconut and the secret to lumi's success is it's formulated and powered by mandelic acid that's how it stops odor before it starts so, small town fam, Lumi starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, my fave, and two free products of your choice, like mini body wash or deodorant wipes, and free shipping. And on top of that, as a special offer for listeners, new customers get 15% off all Lumi products with our exclusive code, which is small town. And if you combine the 15% off with the already discounted starter pack, that equals over 40% off the starter pack. So use code small town for 15% off your first purchase at lumideodorant.com. That's code small town at l-u-m-e deodorant.com. Do it. of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash town. That's right. You get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash town. That's pros dot slash town. Do it.
1: So the kid goes back into the back cooler. Cooper's doing all this. Timmy says he and Bob are standing in front of the store looking, watch, kind of making sure nobody comes in. And Cooper takes the kid in the back of the room and then comes back out a short time later. And they have beer and a little bit of money from the till. I don't think it was much at all. And he tells them what he did, basically.
3: Cooper does.
1: Cooper does. He named him by name, the clerk by name, said he's gone. Let's get out of here. And they walked back up to their house. And on the way, he takes the empty casings and all the bullets out of the gun and throws them down a storm drain. He remembers that. He gives the pistol back to Timmy Sanchez and tells him, you get rid of this. And they went back up to the house where one of the things that Gary Quinn had told me originally, he remembers waking up to them all with a rag wiping the gun down, wiping it down.
3: Oh, Oh, man. God. He shoots him in the head three times, right? Uh Uh-huh. What's with the orange crush?
1: He did that because he thought it would just cover up some of the obvious. He just wanted to throw us off track. I don't know.
3: He thought you wouldn't see three bullet holes and it would be the orange crush. (laughs) I
1: I guess. Wow. I don't know. Maybe he wanted to make sure he was dead.
4: I think the notable thing here is when Cooper does his first robbery down in the other state and gets convicted, he left the witness. The witness was fine. Oh. So now we have this robbery. This guy knows who he is. The clerk knows who he is. And he's not going to make the same mistake again. Of
3: course.
1: Dark. And that's very true. As soon as Timmy Sanchez was talking about them knowing each other, you know, the kids should know he's going to be dead. He's not going to go along with this charade. Even though he's telling this guy, I'm not going to tell the police. I won't tell the police I saw anything. Just go away. Just take what you want and leave. The kid's naive. It was his death sentence to walk back there with him. He should have just tried to run away. And there's some survival to that.
2: I think I'd scramble to latch onto one strategy, which it sounds like this clerk did, which is, look, I won't.
1: Yeah, minimize everything and just do what you're going to do. I'm just a minimum wage clerk. I don't care. And I also look at it from, and I do this with a lot of victims, is I don't like to see people in fear. I hate that. And I think about the fear people have right before that happens. And these guys put that kid in all that fear... And all that danger over a stupid bottle of beer or beer. And, you know, it just shows you how cold they are. Beer and probably 35 bucks. One of the things he did tell Timmy was that when he shot him, he kept hearing a gurgling noise, which is really common with head wounds, especially with a small caliber gun like that. It's not going to kill you that. I mean, you're basically dead, but you're still ticking a little bit. And so he took the bottle and smacked him with it, thinking that that would, you know, put it into it. Jeez.
2: All right. So... Now you've got Timmy's incredibly detailed account of this murder committed by Uncle Cooper. Where does that leave you with Sam and Rick?
1: Well, I went to my boss. He called me in and asked me what I thought about the case. I go, what do you mean what I think about the case? And he goes, do you think they, being Sam and Rick, did it? I said, no, not at all. And he said, do you think Sam and Rick know all these people? And I said, no, I don't. And he goes, why not? And I said, well, why wouldn't they say that? Why wouldn't Sam and Rick be up there eight and a half years into a prison sentence and not say, hey, by the way, these other guys, you know, Rick had already offered to testify against Sam. He's not going to go to prison for these other guys, especially if the other guy's the actual shooter. And he didn't really like my answer, which was fine. I get that.
3: Is that because the sergeant had worked on the original investigation?
1: He worked on the original case, and he was convinced that there was a connection between all these guys. And I understand that. I understand with the information he had and all the lies he'd been told by these guys, what they were doing. But I'm faced with what I'm looking at right now. And I can't come to grips with, if these guys are connected to each other, why there's no conversation about it. And why would this guy come in, this head-injured Gary, and tell us basically the truth about what he knows and not mention him?
2: Right. Mm-hmm. If
1: he's mentioned his own family.
2: It must be controversial, too. I mean, Sam and Rick have been convicted twice already, and now this.
1: And you've got dilemmas like this guy's DNA being on there. You're getting pointed a lot of different directions, but I've always trusted my instincts, and when I'm talking to these people, I can't even talk myself into figuring out how there's a connection.
3: So where do you go from there? Your sergeant isn't pleased with your answer. What's the fallout?
1: I go from there to... Being a little less involved in the case, someone else got involved in it.
3: Someone else was assigned to it?
1: Yeah. They were assigned to go try to find this connection because he thought, I didn't believe there was one.
3: Uh Uh-huh. So he felt your bias would get in the way of your investigation. Yeah. What did the new guys who were assigned to the case, what's the first thing they did?
1: They went up to prison to try to find out who Sam and Rick were talking to and if there's anything about their life while they were in there that would indicate that there was some connection between any of these guys. And ultimately, there was a small connection. At one time, Bob was locked up in the correctional facility at the same time that Sam was was in the same place. And we'll kind of talk about that after.
2: Okay, but while these new guys are looking for this connection between Sam and Rick and the Quinn
3: brothers, Cooper and Sanchez, you are still working on the case, right? Yes, Do you get to follow up on the big confession from Sanchez, at least?
1: So right after that happened, the pin registers are going, and I know that Timmy Sanchez and Bob are talking. They're talking a lot. Uh, Not so much Cooper at this point. So Bob comes back to the station, wants to talk to me, and he tells me I'm ready to tell the truth now about what I know. So I said, what do you know? And he basically says that, He, Timmy Sanchez, and Cooper all went down to the store that night. They're having the party. And that he knew that Cooper had got a gun from Timmy. And he was going to rob the store for more beer and whatever else he could get. And Timmy and I's job was to be a lookout. We didn't go in the store. I didn't want to be in the store. I knew what he was going to do. But I had no idea he was going to kill a kid. I thought he was just going to rob the place and we were going to leave. I said, well, you knew this guy, right? He goes, I was just a kid. I didn't really know any better. And besides that, he goes, we were all kind of afraid of Cooper because we knew he'd been in prison before. And he basically told us, if you guys go along, you're going to keep your mouth shut, and that's the way it's going to be. And so he goes, I want the same deal that Timmy got with immunity. So we go back through that old thing, get the district attorney involved, and same deal. If you didn't help kidnap or murder the kid, you get immunity. And so he comes back, and we re-give him the polygraph. This time he passes And one of the interesting things he passed on was one of the questions we put in there was, did he know Sam or Rick, or were they there? And he said no, and that was his most truthful answer.
2: Wow. Mm.
1: And then he later tells us that he knew who Sam was because he'd been pointed out to him in the yard one time while they were in prison.
3: But that was the extent of it. They hadn't interacted. They weren't even friends in prison, necessarily.
1: No, because he knew what they were there for, and he knew who really did it. So he stayed away from
4: it. It's like Shawshank Redemption.
3: Yeah, for real.
1: So the next thing we did was we wrote interception of communication orders, which is body wire. Bob and Timmy are going to go talk to Cooper, and we're going to monitor their conversations.
2: Meanwhile, have you had any contact with Uncle Cooper?
1: No, and they haven't been calling him either, at least the numbers we had. They had not been calling him, and we told them not to, and they were honoring that. We didn't tell them we were monitoring our phones. But they did not call him as far as we knew. They could have gone over and talked to him. We weren't doing surveillance on him. But as far as we knew, there was no contact between them. And before we applied for and got this interception of communication order, we told them both, you're going to have to wear a wire and go talk to him too as part of your deal. And they both agreed to do it because they were confident that they didn't have anything to do with kidnapping or killing the kid other than withholding this information for all these years. So we apply for the order. And while we're doing that, one of the other detectives, Detective Dawn, wrote a search warrant to get complete fingerprints for Cooper. We did have the fingerprints on file tested at one point, but they weren't sufficient in what they had to do a a comparison, according to the state police. But the state police said they deduced that this was either the side of a finger or maybe even the side of your palm that wouldn't necessarily be taken in a regular fingerprinting.
2: On the masking tape?
1: Yes. So they said they would have to have him available. They could do it. They could do a complete print of the sides of your fingers and the sides of your palms, all those things. And so we wrote a search warrant to bring him down and do that. And we were going to serve that after we did this body wire stuff. So Timmy Sanchez is the first one to go in and talk to him with the body wire on. And he says hi they exchange some pleasantries and
2: does he go to his house
1: yeah he's at his house okay basically they're just make a small talk and timmy sanchez tells cooper he says hey something's up you know those guys are in the paper again And he goes yeah and he goes the cops are digging around again they came over to my house and they got that gun and cooper is not happy
2: Please note that the following recordings are from actual audio off of the body wires worn by Timmy and Bob when detectives sent them to pay a visit to Cooper. Due to the poor quality of these recordings, some of the words are difficult to hear. They
0: should get rid of us And that's you have nothing to do, but you already got them guys. Timmy, we're already being hot
1: He doesn't ever deny shooting. him. He doesn't ever say anything like that. But he just basically says, I don't think they'll get anything. And he goes, "Then if they knew anything about this case, those guys wouldn't be doing our time.
2: May I ask you? Are you listening like in a van down the road, or is this a tape that you then play later?
1: No, we listen. We monitor in a a car down the road.
3: So that's happening. Yeah. And if something came up where it seemed like Cooper was going to harm Timmy, would you guys burst in the door and save him?
1: Yeah. Usually when we give someone a body wire, we have a safety phrase. Like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? means there's big trouble. Oh. So after Timmy goes in and does his wire, we wire up Bob and send him in.
2: Is it the same day? Is it a week no, later? No,
1: it's the day after.
2: Really? Does and that, do that not seem suspicious? That's because- what I was going
1: to say. No, because they're all involved. It'd be only natural that they're all talking about it and they want to talk. And they go to Cooper because he's the hardened con and they're these guys go, what the fuck should we do?
3: Yeah. Right.
1: And so the next day, Cooper is more agitated by this whole thing. He's had the night to not sleep on it and wondering what the cop's are going to come up with with his gun. And Bob shows up and said, shit, the cops are sniffing around again. And I just talked to Timmy. What are we supposed to do? I talk to you about that fucking thing.
0: That
1: mm-hmm. fucking fucking up at my house. I'm scared to death, man.
0: Who? because they don't have anything. There's no one knows nothing. There's no one doing. I was getting nervous when they came home, but that's all it is. Just nervous? Really? I was just... I'm all over my yeah. house yeah. constantly. There's nothing they can do there. They don't have nothing. Otherwise, you want to get them guys. Yeah, that's what I thought. do yeah. It might be for something else. I'm glad that they're watching me, too. Yes. Yeah. Do you not? Know no. I don't know what that fuck you talking about. Because um, so there's nothing they can prove. Yes. Okay. And um, if you keep getting nervous and upset, right. you just kind of, You ain't going to be able to sleep or anything. I'm going to go watching. Nervous. And I'm going to go with it. Because that's what I'm going to do. I've been put in for a few minutes. Before. Yeah, man. We went be out. That was over 19
4: years
0: ago. That was out. Yeah. Yeah, he's been dancing along through him. And, no and damn thing they can do.
4: They got out of three upon
0: them. I don't know. Good. I what about you? Well, all
2: they do is ask. And
0: all they do is deny it.
3: Oh, my God. He said it. He just said it. Bingo.
1: And he also says, I'm not going. That kind of a foretelling thing is I'm not going back.
2: Oh, boy. So when you're in the car listening to these recorded conversations with Cooper, are you just like, yes?
1: You know, I I knew what was in store. You know, I hate to call it a black mark, but it's a black mark for the PD. The fallout's going to be, you know, basically that these two guys have done prison time that didn't do anything having to do with this case. And, you know, a lot of people like to kick you when you're down. A lot of people have preconceived notions as the police cheat and lie and do all these things. And I don't like that part about it. I don't like us looking like that. But I also looked at it like... Hey, we're getting it right, finally. We're doing the right thing. We got information. We didn't say, just go away, you crazy kid with a head injury. We're not talking to you. Right. We looked into what we got information about. And that's one of the things that, you know, you can never not do in cases like this because you just never know. You should never think you know everything because you don't.
4: Well, it's also interesting. These guys were tried and convicted by a jury. There's no indication that the police were lying and fabricating information and evidence.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was presented and It was
4: presented and 12 people came back and said they're guilty. So someone could say that the police were corrupt or something like that, but that's not, those aren't the circumstances in this case. It's the totality of the circumstances. A reasonable jury came back with a verdict. Indeed.
1: Yeah. And it's one of those things that it's a system run by humans and it's never going to be 100%. We just got to keep trying to do the best we can to get it there.
3: Okay, well, now you know for sure that Rick and Sam didn't do it, right? But they're still in prison. So what does your sergeant want to do now?
1: My boss is still convinced that there's a connection between Sam and Rick and all these guys. So he tells Detective Don and I to make arrangements with Rick's attorney to go up to prison to talk to him. And we make that arrangement. We drive up there the next day. One of the interesting things that happened was this attorney, we said, hey, we're not going to tell you what we want to talk to you about. You're going to find out when we get there. So don't ask us any questions on the way up there. We'll talk about whatever. And he rode with us. And he's kind of an interesting attorney around town. We, we all know him, and he does defense work. And one of the things that he said to us on the way up there was really kind of funny. He goes, hey, you know, guys, um, of all the people I've ever defended in my career, Rick's the one that I thought really didn't do it. The only one that I really didn't think did it.
3: Hmm. Wow.
1: And we go, oh, really? Why is that? He goes, I just, that feeling I got from talking to him, the case was kind of strong against him, he thought, because of the DNA was on his shirt. Right. And I had been studying this case, obviously, since I had been reassigned to the thing and knew all of the statements that Rick makes. And he was pretty consistent the whole time. He didn't go in the store. So keep in mind, he's been in eight and a half years on something he didn't do. He's a little tiny guy. We went into the room with Rick. He sat down. He just had this look on his face like, what are you guys doing here? And Rick's attorney said, we want to talk to you about that case, about what you told the police. And he started crying. He just broke down crying and said, I don't know what else to say. I never went in that store. I never went anywhere near that store. I didn't kill that kid. I didn't get anything from it except the beer that Sam brought.
3: Me. That's so sad. Ugh,
2: the weight of it all.
1: Yeah. And I just looked at him and I go, he's totally broken. Totally broken. His story was the same. It was consistent. We just went and basically asked him again. And he goes, I don't understand any of this. I don't why are you up here. And little did he know, the next day he'd be set free because we left there and we went back to the station and we had this big meeting with the DA, our chief of police, and everybody involved in the investigation. And we're all sitting there going, what do we do? This is a new territory for all of us. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically the statement was made. He says, well, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't every day we let him stay in there knowing they didn't do it a bad day? And they said, well, we don't really know that yet. We need to go get Cooper and get his prints taken. So I remember it was right around noon the next day when we were going to go do that, go pick him up. Everybody went to lunch, except me i went down to do my final download of the pen registers see if they were all talking and actually bob and timmy were getting calls now from cooper they hadn't been getting a few but not many so the plan was everyone's going to go eat come back and meet at the station we're going to go out and grab cooper bring him down to the state police and have their forensic fingerprint person completely roll his prints and then talk to him for a minute if he wanted to talk or else let him go and while i was back there doing all that waiting for everybody else the sergeant from patrol calls me and said, hey, we're heading out to Cooper's house for a self-inflicted gunshot wound. <gasps> and I thought he was joking. I thought, oh, yeah, right. That's really funny. He goes, no, I'm serious, they are. And so I call everybody and say, get your ass back to the station and find out that he had been put in a, an ambulance, was being taken to the hospital. He had shot himself in the chest with a thirty caliber rifle.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: But he was still alive, so... Myself and Detective Don and the district attorney booked it over to the hospital, hoping to get a dying statement from him or something from him at that time. They took him and worked on him for about 40 minutes, but he shot himself in the chest and he ultimately died. So he went straight from there down to the morgue and we went down to the morgue with the tech from State Police fingerprinting and rolled Cooper's complete prints and within 30 minutes, she had identified his print as the one on the tape And it was the side of his forefinger where he had just ripped some tape, and it was him.
2: (gasps) Wow. Unbelievable. Did Cooper know the police were coming for him to take him down to the station for fingerprints? Or was that something that you guys would have done unannounced? Because I'm wondering if in anticipation of that moment, that's when he killed
3: himself. Because he knew he was caught.
1: Well, we talked about that, and he wouldn't have known we were coming. But if he had any brains, he knew we were going to come and talk to him because we'd already talked to— Bob and Timmy.
2: So the timing of it just lined up that way by happenstance.
1: Yeah, and we were talking about good thing we didn't go on and knock on that door you know, 15 minutes ago because maybe he would have shot at us rather than just shoot himself because he was sitting right in the living room when he did it. Wow. Getting back to one of his statements on the tape with Bob, I'm not going back. Right. Was basically, he felt it unraveling and he knew that we'd talked to everybody and we had that gun and he just decided he wasn't going back that day.
3: So Rick and Sam, they're still in prison.
1: Yeah. And nobody knew how to go about getting someone out of prison. We didn't know if we had to go to a judge. And anyway, we ultimately find out the governor has to do it.
2: Oh, the governor has to do it. Really?
1: Yes. And so we uh through the district attorney's office, contacted the governor's office. And it happened really fast. As soon as they found out what happened, it was done and over. They got called Sam and Rick got called in were, prison and released.
3: And what was the what were the prisoners' demeanor? Were they like, fuck you, we, we told you we didn't do it? or
1: No. In fact, Sam and actually Rick also called, talked to Detective Dawn and I. Sam actually came in. I talked to Rick on the phone. And he goes, I can't believe you came up there and you didn't tell me this was happening. And I said, well, I didn't really know it was happening at the time. And they were just very thankful. Men. And, of course, they sued, but they, they, they were very thankful.
3: It must have been really hard for the PD to come to terms with the fact that the wrong guys had been put away originally.
1: Well, getting them out of prison as fast as we did was us making it right as soon as we knew what we did. And I think that was really the general consensus of everything. I can only imagine if I was involved in the first case, how disappointed I'd be as far as how did I get this wrong. I know how it feels to be confident you're after the right person, you know, and then although it's never been turned around on me like this, but if that got turned around on me, it would kind of make you doubt a lot of things that you think you knew. The truth is the truth, and I really can't do anything about that, so I just hope nobody holds it against all of us who worked that. I knew that they wouldn't overtly, but I just wouldn't want someone to subconsciously hold it against me, because I had a lot of respect for the guys who worked on this case. I really did. I mean, I did a lot of really good cases for those guys. Those guys are seasoned guys, and... It's a real humbling thing to happen, and something every detective should keep in their mind because, like I said, don't ever think you know it all because you might not. And when you're dealing with people who lie to you all the time, somewhere you got to wade through all those lies and get what the truth is, and you have to either match that up with forensic evidence or things that you can find out other ways to confirm it. But it makes it really hard when you come to a murder scene and you get these guys just lying to you about beer and driving while suspended.
3: Right? It's crazy. What? was the blood on rick's shirt
1: well in the subsequent lawsuit that was one of the big sticking points obviously and if you remember i said all the other blood on that shirt was either occult blood or really small little droplets like they would call vaporous blood and it was the same type of blood both being type a the blood that was finally ultimately dna'd was this drop that was a little bigger than everything else according to the lab it seemed kind of out of place a little bit in compared to the other vaporous and occult blood that they found, which couldn't be DNA because there was so little of it. But the person who actually had done that test, the DNA test, the person who actually found the blood had got into some trouble for some false testing for drugs, some other things. And so they vacated a lot of the work that they did after that. Oh. So this is the crime lab guy. Yes. And I do not know... If it was a mistaken contamination, because, of course, they had a lot of the victims' bloody clothing and autopsy results and tissue samples and things like that. I don't know how it got on there, but I'm really confident that Rick never went in that store.
2: Wow. I am now wondering about Timmy and Bob and Gary, really. Like, they got immunity and that just stuck, and so they never did any time for participating in this robbery-turned-murder. Are they around today? They are. Are you aware of them in the community still? Yes. So they continue to be frequent flyers?
1: Well, it's all petty stuff, you know, drinking too much or something like that. Nothing serious since then.
2: I have a question about the victim. We haven't talked much about the the clerk, the, the victim. Were you ever in touch with the victim's family? Were they privy to this whole thing?
1: He had a brother and a mother who lived pretty close to the store at the time. In fact, one of the things that happened on this night was he would frequently call his brother. During the timeline thing, when they were trying to figure out when he actually died, he would call his brother to come down and help him with stuff to clean up sometimes when it got really slow at night. And he called his brother that night. He said a little after two and asked him to come down and help him. And his brother said, I told him I would, but then I fell asleep and didn't go.
2: Oh, Oh. man.
1: And I didn't have any contact with him after these guys were released and this all came out about who had actually done it. I want to say that they moved out of state, but I'm not sure about that. Mm -hmm. I did have contact with Cooper's wife after he killed himself.
2: Oh, he was married.
1: Yeah. In fact, we were watching his house prior to going over there. That's how we knew something was up because all of a sudden the ambulance started showing up. She had left and come back and had found him. Did
2: she know anything about this?
1: No. And that's what I interviewed her about, and she claimed not to. She said he never, ever told her anything about this.
2: Really? Do you have any misgivings about the fact that Sanchez and Bobby Quinn got immunity and they never paid any kind of price for being involved?
1: I'm confident they didn't have anything to do with the actual kidnapping and the murder. If they had had anything to do with holding him down or taping him up, I know our district attorney wouldn't have gone for giving him any kind of immunity. And I would have been really against that. But our investigation showed that what they did basically was they were lookouts. And they had no knowledge that he was going to shoot the guy. Plus, they were 16 years old at the time. They were young kids. And this guy, Cooper, was just basically trying to show what a badass he was to all these kids. And their thoughts to us was, what are you supposed to do when a guy who just killed somebody is telling you to shut up? You're going to shut up when you're a kid. And that's what they did. You know, I don't know how you resolve the fact that all these years you grow up and you become a man. You realize, you know, there's two guys sitting in prison that didn't do something, and we're sitting out here knowing my uncle or my cousin or whatever it is did it. And, you know, it takes, like I said, a car accident to knock it out of your head for someone to tell you.
2: So, Rick and Sam, do you know where they are in their lives now?
1: They both got a substantial amount of money. Oh. Mm. And they have both continued criminal activity. I know that.
2: Hmm. Really? Even Rick?
1: Uh-huh. Rick has been back to prison, I know that, for drugs.
2: Oh. Mm.
1: And Sam, he's still in the local area, and he gets in trouble every now and then. He hasn't really cleaned up his act much either. But I see him every now and then, and there's no animus between us but than when he's in criminal activity, and he gets in trouble for it, and he basically does his time for it. He
3: doesn't say thank you?
1: Oh, he's appreciative <laughs> of that, but he's, he is who he is.
2: Do you think, especially, say, in the case of Rick, who seemed sort of terrified of going to prison in the first place, innocent the whole time, a weaker link of the two, do you feel like prison, maybe his eight and a half years, played a part in the life he's living now? Or do you think he was always set up that way? I mean, how how much of that prison time and the wrongful conviction do you think factors into their dealings now in life?
1: Um, especially for Rick, I think it's... All of the reason he has trouble now. Uh, because he, I'm sure he had a rough time in prison. I'm sure of it. And he's got drug addiction problems. And you think about the age he was, and he spent most of his 20s,
2: formative years,
1: locked up right. in, for something that he didn't do. And these guys aren't strong individuals anyway, in a lot of ways. That's why they get in trouble. And then he gets out of prison and he just doesn't know how to cope. And then, like I said, he's got money so he can get drugs. And it's really unfortunate in a lot of ways.
3: Wow. What's your biggest takeaway from this case?
1: Like I said, the biggest thing I took away from this case is learning that you got to follow up all your leads. You know, if two weeks after this thing happened, they'd have looked into that van. They would have figured out who it was and figured out he lived right up the street and he'd been had for robbery before and they would have looked into it a little more. Now, I don't know where that would have led because you still would have had to get the gun from Timmy and everybody else. But like I said, these guys were kids at the time. And I think they're probably more intimidated by the police asking about a maybe murder than they are Uncle Cooper, who is basically giving keep your mouth shut.
2: Incredible. Yes, thank you.
3: Small Town Dicks is produced by Zibby Allen and Yardley Smith and co-produced by detectives Dan and Dave. This episode was edited by Logan Heftel, Yardley Smith, and Zibby Allen. Music for the show was composed by John Forrest. Our associate producer is Erin Gaynor, and our books are cooked and cats wrangled by Ben Cornwell. If you
2: like what you hear and want to stay up to date with the show, head on over to smalltowndicks.com and become our pal on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Smalltown Dicks. We love hearing from our Small Town fam. So hit us up.
3: Yeah, and also we have a YouTube channel where you can see trailers for past and forthcoming episodes. And we're part of Stitcher Premium now! That's right. If you choose to subscribe, you'll be supporting
2: our podcast. That way, we can keep going to small towns across the country and bringing you the finest in rare true crime cases, told, as always, by the detectives who investigated them. Thanks for listening, small town fam. Nobody's better than you.